Thank you, Matt and Alex. Well, good morning. My name is John Abel. Matt, appreciate your introduction earlier. Um, happy to be here this morning with you on this family service. And I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. I know it's been a kind of a crazy season with COVID and all, but I hope you were able to celebrate with some friends or loved ones and just be, take some time to reflect on things that you're thankful for this season. Because today is a family service, I want to just put in a quick plug for something that Miss Teresa pulled together for the kids. So raise them high, kids, if you have these. They're kind of an activity sheet to follow along throughout the service. And if you don't have one, how about raise your hand even higher? Maybe we'll see if we can get you one. Anybody in need of one? Parents, do you want one to follow along to? You're welcome. No judgment here. Um, but thank you, Miss Teresa, for doing that. And throughout the service, I'm going to be talking today about God's covenant with his people. And I'll be using some key words, specifically the word promise. Whenever that comes up in the message, Miss Teresa has asked for the kids to just go ahead and put a little heart in the box. And if you see her afterwards, I think she has something special for you. So yay. All right. So I'll try to make that fun throughout the message today. But if you're with us for the first time or you're visiting with us, we've been in the book of Exodus. And last week, we had a recap of kind of the first 20 or so chapters of Exodus and what God has done. And just as a, as a quick way of reminder, basically, we're seeing the story of how God has rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. He promised to Abram that he would do that. And now he's enacting his plan to rescue his people set them apart from other nations, and bring them out into the desert. And, and basically, if you look at where we are just in the last week of looking at Exodus, kind of 20 through 23, the people are gathered at the mountain of God, or at the Mount Sinai, and they're kind of at the base of the mountain. God comes down on the mountain, Moses goes up, he reveals the law, the Ten Commandments, and then some additional laws and social kind of constructs. And then Moses shares those with the people, and what we're going to see today, we're going to be in the book of, uh, of Exodus, of course, and in chapter 24, we're going to be looking at the, basically how that covenant is kind of sealed with the nation of Israel. There's kind of the covenant is confirmed. So if you wouldn't mind, um, I guess to prepare, we're going to turn to Exodus 24, and we're going to try to answer three, three questions. I don't know if you're on the church Slack. I dropped these in Slack last night for everybody just to maybe be preparing ahead of time. So the first question we're just going to look at is, what is a covenant? Then we're going to try to answer the question, well, what does God's covenant look like with his people? And then the last question is, well, what does this covenant mean for us today? So if you would, please turn with me to Exodus 24 and follow along. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. And then we're going to start to kind of unpack this by answering those, those three questions. So in Exodus 24, this is God speaking. It says, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people, all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And the people answered with one voice and said, all the words of the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. Half of the blood he threw against the altar. 
Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay a hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you tablets of stone with the law and the commandments, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and it covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Now kids, if you were paying attention there, there's a box where you're going to color a mountain and there's some vivid description of what the top of that mountain looked like. What did it say? It said, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire. So that might give you some ideas of how to, how to maybe draw that there in that box. So what is a covenant? Well, the definition of a covenant is it's an agreement between two parties with a promise to keep that agreement. In the biblical context, an agreement which brings about the relationship of commitment between God and his people. So one of the closest examples of a covenant and what this kind of would have looked like between God and his people is a marriage. And in this case, a marriage ceremony, because we're right in this confirmation of, of this commitment between two parties. In marriage, you see two people coming together. You see them agreeing before witnesses that they're going to commit to each other, says they're going to forsake all others, common vows say till death do us part. And then they're going to live in a close relationship with each other. So what does God's covenant look like? This is our big question number two, with his people. Well, in those days, a covenant or a treaty between two parties, especially where one had a much higher social standing or more power, like a king or a lord, would have followed a similar construct to what we see here in Exodus 24. The construct is such as this. You know, one party, usually the one of higher position, the king or ruler, would state their position and then what they've done for the other party. Perhaps they've come in and they've helped protect them from their enemies. So that, that higher power or position would say, I have done this for you. And then they would state the conditions of the treaty. These are the things you're going to need to do in order to maintain this kind of agreement with us to maintain this protection over you and then there would typically be some blessings and curses associated with that for either keeping the treaty you'd be blessed or for breaking the treaty you would be cursed and the vow would typically be ratified by two parties walking between dead animals to signify may it be done to me 
as it was done to these animals, if I break my part of this vow or this treaty. And so before kind of digging deeper into what we're reading in Exodus 24, I want to go back to Genesis, where God makes a covenant with Abram. And if you remember, there's some similarities to this. If you turn with me into Genesis chapter 15, we're going to look at God's covenant with Abram. So I'm not going to read it word for word, but just going to kind of summarize some of the key ideas here because it is a little bit of a long text and we're on a little bit of a shorter message today. But, but God basically comes to Abram in a vision and he says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. And then Abram asks him a question, Well, what will you give me? I continue to be childless. And then God says to Abram, he says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, to Abram, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. So God made a promise to Abram that your own son shall be your offspring, shall be your heir. And then he says, come outside, Abram. He says, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are even able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. He basically is telling Abram, your, your offspring are going to be so great that you're not even going to be able to number them. And this is to a guy who doesn't have a child of his own at that point in time. And it says Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Notice kind of the similarities to that contract. God is basically saying what his position was, what he had done for Abram. I'm gonna, I brought you out. This is what I did. I am God. And then Abram says, well, how do I know that I'm going to possess this? And he says, bring me a heifer three years old and a female goat three years old and a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought them all and he cut them in half and he laid them half over against each other. And then it says the sun goes down, Abram falls into a deep sleep and it says a darkness covers him. And through that, the Lord reveals to him, he says, a promise Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not their own. And they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. And in verse 14 it says, But I will bring judgment on the nation that they, shall serve, that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And this is what we've just seen kind of in the beginning of Exodus, God enacting that promise. And then the last part, which I think is really key, it says, The sun had gone down and it was dark, and behold... A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces, the pieces of the animals that had been laid out. And remember what I told you that typically in that time, to, to ratify a treaty between two parties, both parties would walk through those together. But in this case, that smoking fire pot symbolizing God walking through alone. And we'll talk a little bit more about it in a minute. So God's covenant with Abram was the precursor to the covenant we're going to talk about today that God is making with Moses and the Israelites. And God promised to make Abraham's descendants outnumber the stars in the sky and that God would provide a land for them. It's often called the promised land. Now it's important to know in verse 17, I mentioned this, only God walks through. And many Bible scholars believe that this signifies that God's promise to Abram and his descendants did not depend on Abram keeping his part of the vow. It would have been very atypical in that day for just one of the parties to walk through because, again, you're swearing that by these dead animals, I swear I'm going to do what this treaty says. 
So the covenant that we're reading about today that's really kind of encapsulated in Exodus 20 through 24 follows a very similar pattern to this. God initiates the relationship. We see he reminds the people of who he is and what he's done. In Exodus 20, verses 1 through 2, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then God also provides his terms or rules for how the relationship is going to go. In chapter 20 through 23, you know, there's the Ten Commandments, which we went through kind of a very detailed series on that. But then after Exodus 20, there's also some additional kind of civil laws where God has order that he wants his people to live by. He wants them to be set apart from the nations that are surrounding them. This is often referred to as the book of the covenant. God requires his people to have exclusive devotion to him, to be set apart and not worship false gods or idols. And he wants them to have order. And so again, these kind of the book of the covenant covers the Ten Commandments plus all these other all their laws so that they look differently than the nations surrounding them. And then we get to the part where God promises to bless them if they follow his rules. And this is where if they don't, they're going to be under a curse. So there's blessings and a curse. The Lord promises that he's going to prosper Israel and give them the land of Canaan if they obey. It says in, in uh, I guess, in the end of chapter 23, that he's going to send his angel ahead, and that angel would basically, these people will be so fearful that they're just going to leave and vacate the land over a period of time so that Israel will have the promised land to live in. He also says that he's going to make the nation of Israel a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a set-apart nation. And there are also additionally kind of some more blessings and curses listed in, in Deuteronomy. And, and Ryan has some really great resources for the life group leaders that he sent out to kind of unpack this even a bit more. And so I encourage, you know, life group leaders and life groups to kind of further your discussion on, on that topic together. So then we get to Exodus 24, and the vows of this covenant relationship were kind of at the part where they're going to be ratified or solidified or confirmed. So in Exodus 24, it's kind of a recording of all that goes on to help solidify this ceremony between God, who's initiated the relationship, laid out his plan and what he wants it to look like, and then the people. And so we see in verses 1, of t- one to 2 of Exodus 24 that the people are gathered together, that they're reminded in verse 3 of what God has done for them and for his rules for the relationship. Then the people are all of one accord. So isn't this kind of a neat picture? Because imagine how many people are coming together. They're hearing the book of the covenant, possibly for the first time, and they're all coming together with one voice saying, we agree to do this. Now, that's a pretty, I mean, I, I think that's a pretty amazing thing that, you know, you get a group even this size. I, I would find it hard that we're all going to agree on any one thing, you know, just because of so many different perspectives, right? But in this case, all the people were unified at that point in time, which is a pretty sweet picture. So in verses 4 through 8, an altar is built. We see that there's sacrifices. The blood is then sprinkled on the altar, signifying God's part of that relationship. And then it's sprinkled on the people. And you may think that's kind of weird, but that's a lot of people. And, you know, I think just that, you know, you saw the two animals split apart and they walk through. That's signifying the blood on them that is their part of this covenant relationship with God. We also, the book of the covenant is read aloud again, and they further affirm, yes, we will obey, they say. All the people say that. So then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, the 70 elders of Israel, they're all allowed to go further up the mountain, so they're getting closer to God. And in fact, we see an awesome picture where it says they beheld God, and they ate and drank. 
And to me, just coming off of Thanksgiving, you know, you just had a probably hopefully a big meal with, with close friends and family. And just think of the fellowship that you had, hopefully sitting around a table together. And, and here in this case, for the first time since the Garden of Eden, mankind is having close fellowship with God. They're sharing a meal together. And then Moses is allowed to go further up the mountain to see God's glory and to be in his presence. So chapter 24 is really setting the stage for us for the rest of the book of Exodus, and we're going to see how this kind of all plays out. And really, it carries a theme that's seen throughout the rest of Scripture. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that theme is. So if you recall back to Genesis with Adam and Eve, they were with God in the garden, and they had fellowship with him prior to their sin, which separated them from God. Everything at that time was perfect. They were able to have meals with God. God was able to walk and talk with them and teach them all sorts of things. And they broke that fellowship when they disobeyed God's commandment. And ever since then, God has been enacting a plan of redemption. And we're seeing here in Exodus just how God is carrying out his promises to restore fellowship between God and man. Now, God in the relationship is making the way for us, and he reveals just through this book of the covenant how he wants the rules and terms for how we're to have this fellowship. And for a brief moment of time in Exodus 24, we see that the people are unified and that they're willing to obey God. Now, spoiler alert, but in just a few short chapters, we're going to see just how quickly we, or the Israelites, it's kind of their picture of us, will break that covenant, and soon they're worshiping a golden calf, right? And and we can often look at that and go, man, they just saw God do all these amazing things. He had all these plagues. He totally wasted the Egyptian army, one of the most powerful armies at that time, and, and we walked across the Red Sea on dry land, and here we are at the base of the mountain. We've had a meal with God. We've seen all these things, but yet they built a calf, and they're worshiping that, not a few chapters later. But, but that can be true of us, if we're just being honest, that we can see God do amazing things in our lives, and then so quickly we forget. And as we enter this Advent season over the coming four weeks, uh, we're going to really look and explore in Exodus how God enacts this plan to dwell among us. And, and really this traces to the future birth of Jesus. So our third big question for the day, well, what does this covenant mean for us today? Well, I really think by studying the covenant that God establishes with Moses, we learn some really important things about the character of God. And so I have a list. You're welcome to just kind of jot these down. I'll try to go slow. But, but, but some really striking things come out to me when, I, when I've studied this. And, and the first one is that God is personal. God is personal. And not only is he personal, but he desires to have a close relationship with each of us. See, our God is not a golden calf or a statue or an idol that just sits there and represents something that's distant, impersonal. God is personal, and he desires to have a relationship with me and with each one of you. The other thing we see is that God initiates in the relationship with us. God's the one that took the initiation with us. We did not initiate that relationship with him. You know, the Bible says there's not one of us that is righteous, not one of us that really seeks after God, but God pursues us, and he made a way for us to have fellowship with him. I think another key thing, getting back to that marriage analogy, is God doesn't want to date us. 
God's not just going around speed dating every one of us in the room. You know, you get your five minutes with me. I'm going to make, you know, that's, that's not at all the picture of what the relationship between us and God looks like. God wants a committed relationship with us. And to have that commitment, it takes two parties, right? God doing his part, which he's absolutely done, and then us responding to his initiation with our part, right? And you often hear of the church and scriptures referred to as the bride of Christ. That's another kind of analogy for just us being partnered in this covenant relationship with God. As well as you look at the Israelites when they worship foreign gods or they're quickly distracted by other things and they break this covenant, they're called by God. They're referred to as an adulterous people. Adultery is cheating on your your partner in in a married relationship. And God views it that way when we worship idols as adultery. So again, there's this picture of marriage that kind of keeps coming back into the forefront here. Another thing that I think when we look at this covenant that we see about the character of God and the kids, you may love this one, is that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Remember back to what we read in the covenant with Abram in Genesis 15? Remember what God said he would do. He said, and this is prophecy, that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there, speaking of the nation of Israel under the Egyptian rule. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Well, that's everything that we've just read in Exodus. And God sovereignly decided that that was the plan, and he even gave us kind of the in the, now that we can see scripture, he, he gave us the warning. This is how I'm going to enact my plan to restore you as a nation. We also see, just in looking at this covenant, that God wants us to make a commitment. We are to choose to follow him, even though he knows we're not going to be able to keep this covenant perfectly, just like the Israelites a few chapters from now when they make a golden calf and begin worshiping that. And God made a way for us to experience the blessings of his covenant even though we don't hold up our end of the agreement. Much like God walking through the two animals that were split apart and Abram is deep in his sleep. Abram didn't have any part in that covenant. God God knew that we weren't going to be able to keep our part of this agreement. So to me, that raises a big question that I put out on Slack that I I know if if you saw it, just ask you to consider. And, And that question is, why would God establish a set of rules that he knew that we wouldn't keep and that we couldn't keep? So just think on that for a minute. Why would God put together this covenant and act something that he knew only he would be keeping his part of that arrangement? Well, the law or the book of the covenant really points us to where we're deficient. It points us to the fact that we aren't going to keep this perfectly And it points us to our need for a Savior. In fact, the law points us to Christ, who perfectly fulfilled the law, who perfectly fulfilled the book of the covenant, unlike us. You see, like the Israelites, God desires a covenant relationship with each one of us, with you, with me. And Jesus is our high priest. If we recall in Exodus 24, Moses got to go up higher on the mountain, and he was then representing the people before God, and then God before the people. And much like that, Jesus is our perfect 
high priest. He intercedes on our behalf with God, and he is the one who perfectly kept the covenant. Not anyone else in history has done that. And he did that so that we can have fellowship with God. So what is Jesus? So if we look at kind of this construct of a covenant, Jesus has, he's setting up in the New Testament a new covenant. And Jesus comes and he says of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is making a declaration about himself and what he's done. John 14, 6, that's I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And unlike anyone else in history, Jesus kept the law of Moses perfectly. He even says in Matthew 5, 17, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or to get rid of it. No, I've come not to abolish it, but to fulfill the law. In Luke 22, 20, Jesus institutes what we refer to as the new covenant. And he says, this cup, and he's referring to the meal he's sharing with the disciples at Passover, the night before he's basically betrayed and is ultimately crucified. And he has the cup and he says, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood that's poured out for you. So we trace that from the covenant that's made with the blood of the animals now Jesus is talking about his own blood being poured out for us. And Jesus commands us to be devoted to him in Matthew 16, 24, and to love each other. He says, you know, in John 13, 34, he says, a new commandment I give you to love one another as I have loved each of you. Then Jesus promised to bless us by forgiving our sins. He empowers us to be holy. He gives us eternal life, which is ultimately getting us back to that original state of Adam and Eve in the garden, perfectly in fellowship with God. So that's what we have to look forward to in eternity and restoring that unbroken fellowship that we have with God. So this new covenant with Jesus is ratified by blood, as we talked about. In this case, it's not animal's blood, but it's Jesus sacrificing himself. He is the perfect sacrifice because he kept all of the law. And his blood is then poured out for us on the cross. And like the Israelites in Exodus, I hate to say this, but we, we break our covenant with God. We will quickly forget what he's done. We will quickly worship other things, idols of man-made things, whether that be success, status, you name it, right? And so, so, so that's a problem. And... Because of that, just like in the covenant relationship where it says, if I walk through these parts, may it be done to me, the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. Just like we deserve death for breaking that covenant, may it be done to us like the animals. But in this case, Jesus came and he said, you are rightfully deserving to die because you've broken your part of the covenant. But I am going to go ahead and sacrifice myself and die on your behalf. So Jesus is taking our place when he goes upon the cross and he is hung there for us so that we can have fellowship with God. It's the same picture of God walking through or the smoking pot going through the split halves. God's doing all the work here. And I think that's just something we have to really stop and pause and go, it's not us. Yes, God wants us to be committed and God wants us to obey. But God is doing all the work so that we can have that unbroken fellowship with him. And Jesus shows that, by, demonstrates that, that, that type of love by dying for us. 
So back to our third question. What does this covenant mean for us today? The covenant with Moses is the beginning of God's restorative work so that we can have a relationship with him. It goes all the way back to the garden. He has been working out a plan through humanity to bring us back in fellowship with him. And like the Israelites, we can so quickly forget what God has done and break our commitment. And I believe that's largely why God gave us this communion sacrament, where he says, do this in remembrance of me. So today, we are going to take communion as a, as a church. And I know, Matt, you already kind of mentioned it, but if there's anybody in here who doesn't or has not received the elements, just go ahead and raise your hand, and we'll make sure you get those. Um, yeah, so just a couple in the back here. Now, communion is a way for us to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross for our sins. It serves as a reminder that he promised he would one day return. I also just want to make sure you know that if you're, if you're new or visiting or, and we have one more down here, David, I think. Yeah, okay. If you're new or visiting, or, or you ha- communion is really kind of something that's set up for those, of, those who have made a commitment to follow Jesus and to accept him as their Lord and Savior. So if you haven't made that personal commitment, I would just encourage you to use this time for personal reflection And we would love to talk to you about that if you have other questions about what this looks like and why. You know, some people might say, why are you drinking juice? And have Like, we would love to kind of further deep dive and unpack that with you at another time. But for those who have decided that Jesus is your personal Savior, communion is a time for you to remember what he did for you. So as we prepare to take the elements, I just want you to kind of take a minute, kind of bow your head. I want you to think through four things in, in the next 60 seconds, just kind of silently in preparation. Um, I want you to recall God's covenant and his rules. And I want you to recognize that you have broken them. And then think through and confess anything God puts on your heart. Confess that you are guilty of breaking God's perfect law. Then believe that Jesus paid the penalty for you breaking God's covenant. He took it upon himself what was rightly due for you. And lastly, accept that God wants that personal relationship with you. So just take about 60 seconds right where you are, just bow your heads, and then and I'll pray, and we'll take communion together. God, as we come to you before you today, much like the Israelites gathered at the foot of the mountain, you have clearly revealed yourself to us through your word. You have shown us your plan to restore us. And you left us with this communion sacrament so that we can be reminded of all the work that you've done. So Lord, we confess this is not anything that we have done. Lord, today before you, we want to admit that we are not worthy of this, and it is by your grace that we have received 
this blessing of restored fellowship with you. And so, Lord, we come before you today as your people. We want to confess anything that we've done that has violated this covenant, and we want to thank you for what you have done to bring and restore that relationship with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your, your communion sacraments, on the top you'll see a clear film. Go ahead and peel that off, and it will give you your, your wafer. And in 1 Corinthians 11, there's kind of, I like this recount of the night that Jesus kind of instituted this sacrament of communion. And, and, it's, and basically the writer says, For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is Jesus speaking, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Your second layer will be the foil layer there. Peel that back. up in verse 23 it says or 25 sorry it says in the same way he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me in remembrance of christ for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes Will you bow your head with me in prayer? Father God, I just want to thank you for this opportunity to read your word this morning, to remind ourselves of all that you've done, and just how awesome and amazing your plan is, that from the very beginning, this is what you set out to do to restore fellowship. I'm thankful for, for the fact that you keep your promises, that we can rest assured that you will come again, and as often as we drink this cup and, and eat this bread, we're reminding ourselves of this, this coming promise that has yet to, to be fulfilled. And so we look forward to that day. We look forward to the season of Advent where we talk about expectantly waiting on something, God. Just, just remind us of all the, the amazing ways in which you have blessed us, and specifically that you want to have a personal relationship with you, and that you've done all the work, and you've laid all the, the groundwork, and you've made it so that we can. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.